All right, hello everyone. We got we got no sound system tonight, so let me do like the old school guys do. There was a uh, a book by a preacher named Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher in England, back over a hundred years ago, and he wrote a he wrote a uh, a book to his pastor's college called Lectures to My Students. And each chapter is about how to be a good preacher and how to pastor and that sort of thing. And he had a whole chapter about how skinny guys can't be good preachers because they can't project their voice good enough. A whole chapter? Yeah. Wow. Because uh, obviously back then they didn't have amplification. And he actually preached to two, three, four, sometimes even up to 10,000 people at a time. Some of the great preachers like uh, George Whitfield and and uh, John and Charles Wesley, they used to go out into the open air and preach to five or 6,000 people. In the book of Acts, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached, and more than 5,000 people, because 5,000 got saved. So I'm no Spurgeon, I'm no Wesley, I'm no Whitfield or Apostle Peter. <laughs> That's his little brother. <laughs> but I'm going to do my best tonight to uh, do a little voice projection, and um, hopefully we can learn a few things out of the Bible. So if you do have a Bible or a phone, you can turn it to the book of Colossians. And we're studying in Colossians. And for those of you who are new, welcome. And uh, that was my brother Michael uh, playing the guitar and singing. And I really I like that song, Dino. You know? That was a good song. That was a good he knows, song. He knows his stuff. He knows his stuff. And I really, I really appreciate uh, Heather for printing out all the lyrics. Thank you so much, Thank you, Heather. Heather. And um, we're just, uh, and actually I appreciate the fact that we get to be back. Me and my brother were gone last week. Um, but it's really nice to be back. And looking forward to, you know, getting back into a routine as much as possible. Colossians chapter 3. The book of Colossians is written to a church that was in danger of going uh, and following after false teachers. So the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter to their church as well as to our church and others because we believe the Bible is the inspired and authoritative Word of God that God is speaking to churches and doing a couple of things through this letter, this book of Colossians. Number one, warning of false teaching. Warning of the dangers of some of the errors that were coming into the church in that day. And you'd be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't, but the errors that were coming into the church 2,000 years ago, it's the same old thing. There's, not, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just repackaged the same errors. And, and those errors revolve around, this is the second thing he's writing about, who is Jesus Christ? When you look at all cults, false teachings, false religions, and things like that, but especially Christian cults and false teachers, it always boils down to the central issue of who is Jesus Christ. And some will say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good prophet. He said a lot of good things, but, you know... He wasn't really the Son of God. He wasn't God with us in the flesh, the deity of Christ, that's called. Others, they would say, 
in their day and ours. Yeah, Jesus is God. He is a, he's kind of transcending above the rest of us. In fact, they taught that in many in uh, Colossae, they were teaching him that Jesus was God, but he wasn't in the flesh. He wasn't human. He was like a spirit. So when he walked on the beach, you guys ever heard of footprints in the sand? Who loves footprints in the sand? Raise your hand. Don't, do not be ashamed. Amen. You guys all know it, right? The punchline. It was then that I carried you. Don't cry. Did that get you? That You felt that. They don't know. These young ones don't know. You don't know that? Do you know? Yeah, they, everybody knows footprints know. in the sand. No, no. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. But when these, uh, they were called Gnostics, when they came in, a lot of them taught Jesus didn't have footprints in the sand because he wasn't a human. You couldn't give him a high five. It would be like, whoop, right on through. Because God can't be, uh, he's so holy, he can't be a physical person because physical matter and us are unholy. That's what they would teach. So they had some kind of a mysticism that was... That had the incorrect version of Jesus on that side. And then still others would come in and say, well, Jesus may be God and Jesus may be man, but in order to be saved by Jesus, you have to do a list of rules in addition to believing in him. You have to be like uh, Moses and all them in the Old Testament. You got to keep all the dietary rules. You got to be circumcised. You got to do all this stuff. And so they were teaching on another error about Christ, and that was that you have to work in order to get your salvation. It's not a free gift of grace. So it counters against that. So a lot of these letters are written to correct kind of what people were thinking or hearing from false teaching within churches. Like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. We've got the same stuff going on in churches today. Repackaged. Another thing that he taught against, and that's what we're going to hit today, is uh, a form of um, moralism. What do I mean by moralism? Moralism basically means go to church, say you believe in God, and be a good person, and then you can go to heaven. You don't really need Christ at the center of your life. So there's a lot of churches like that too, that Jesus has actually been, not, they don't get the, they don't have the wrong teaching about Jesus. He's just not part of the church at all. The church has become a, like a self-help place. And then at the end they say, in Jesus' name, but there hasn't been Jesus the whole time. Why are you in praying in his name? So that was another thing that they had made a set of, you know, rules and, uh, Last week, we, or two weeks ago, is about the philosophies of this world, the principles of the world, and not Christ. So they'd, they'd taken the teachings of Christ and the good values of Christ, but they'd removed Christ right out of it. And that happens a lot today, too, in churches. So there's all these things that were, they're hitting back then that we, we also deal with today in one form or another. Let's read chapter 3. He says, if you were raised with Christ... Oh, I forgot one more. <coughs> Sorry. It was kind of on the other side of that, the, you know, the teaching about um, 
you know, be moral and follow the rules and just be a good person. On the other side, they said, well, because of grace, you don't even have to be, you don't even have to try. You don't even have to be a good person. You just kind of go and live like everybody else in the world. And then if you believe in Jesus, when you die, you just get to go to heaven. But don't worry about it. So there was a removal of an emphasis on becoming Christ-like and becoming holy in their life and conduct. So that was the opposite of the moralists or the rule keepers. These are the ones that pushed, you know, rules right out. So then you see a Christian or a church and it looks just like uh, the rest of the world, morally speaking, because we all kind of look like the rest of the world. Like someone walks by here, they're like, they say, oh, that's a family gathering or something. What are they doing? Most of us look like normal people, right? Look around. I mean, I think so. You can't just tell, oh, yeah, that guy's a Christian. We don't have the, there's that guy that stands on the, with the cross and everything. Have you seen that guy? Then you're like, okay, he's religious. But, I mean, we, could, we look pretty normal, so, you know, what's the difference? So you don't see the difference, but morally speaking, there has been a disconnect of the life of Christ. When you saw Jesus, he, he didn't have a halo, right? He didn't float above. He had footprints in the sand, praise the Lord. But he looked just like an average Middle East guy. They didn't recognize him when they came to grab him at the garden, remember? They had to say, which one is he? They all look the same, these guys. They're all the disciples. You know, and you hang out with people long enough, you dress the same, you look, they all have beards, tunics. <laughs> Which one is he? They had to, Judas had to identify him because he just looked regular guy, like a regular guy. But actually when he went out, people followed him because his life was different. They said, wow, this guy's different. He teaches as one who has an authority not as the scribes and Pharisees. He's able to say these things and they happen. He can heal the sick, he can raise the dead. This guy's different. And then when we look at churches and Christians, they're not gonna, we're not one for one copies of Jesus, none of us are. I'm not even saying close to that. But there should be starting a transformation to where we become more like him every day. Chapter three, verse one. It's just 11 verses right now, because my, my voice might go out at 10, but okay. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. That was nice. I still feel like I'm going strong, so maybe not. It says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, verse 5 says, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do 
Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and you've put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Did you guys hear the gist of what's being said there? There's a lot of things in there. I'm going to tell you kind of the heart of what has been said there. Actually, three things. It wouldn't be a real sermon without three things. <laughs> but this will help to, this helps me, okay? Maybe it'll help you. What did he say? Number one, we need to learn the doctrinal. What does doctrinal mean? Doctrinal mean doctrine means teaching. Before you can live for Christ, you need to understand what Christ has done for you first. You need to understand the teaching first before you can live it out. Learn the doctrinal. Number two, live the practical. There's a lot of practical stuff in there. Don't lie to each other. Don't be angry. Don't be covetous, that sort of thing. Um, but treat each other with kindness, etc. And then number three, leave the immoral. This is what I said in the beginning. The danger had become, okay, I believe in Jesus. He's got grace for me. So I'm going to just continue to, my life is sin. No big deal. But it is a big deal. Why? All the way back in the beginning, what we read, you were raised with Christ. Seek those things that are above. It says in verse 3, I want you to notice these things are very, very important. You died, your life is hidden with Christ and God. Verse 5, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then um, it says down in verse 10, put, on, put off the old and put on the new. What is it ex explaining here? Because if you were just to read this, you would think it's a list of rules I got to follow in order to be a Christian. Not at all. It's the other way around. It's saying this is what it means to be a Christian and this is how a Christian lives. Do you know the difference between those two? The first says, here's a list of rules. Follow these and you get to be a Christian. The second says, here's what it means to be a Christian and a Christian will live this way. He says it over and over. He repeats it in these 11 verses. Death and resurrection. That's what he repeats. Old life, new life. Can we turn to a passage in Romans? Romans chapter 6. I had, an, I had a few others I want to turn to, but we're just going to do this one. And then back. Romans chapter 6. I'm talking about what is doctrinal, the teaching. Until you understand what a Christian is, you will not be able to live like a Christian or continue to live like a Christian. Why? Because if you put the rules as the first priority, you will follow the rules for so long and then you'll stop and say, I don't want to do it anymore. It's too hard. It's like New Year's resolution. We like the idea of it, but when it comes down to doing it, too hard. At least for me. Some of you are, it's not. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that your life, not your physical life, 
Because we're all still alive. I'm talking about death and life. We're all still alive. You're all looking at me. Okay, I can see you're alive. Physically, we're alive. But there's more to who we are than our physical bodies. There's our soul and our spirit, the Bible says. And the Bible says that those who have sinned spiritually and in their soul, they have been separated from God. The Bible says when Eve took the forbidden fruit, they say apple, but probably I don't know if it was an apple. When Eve took the fruit, the Lord says, of all the other trees you can eat, and by the way, I believe this is the true story that actually happened. When they were put in the Garden of Eden, perfect place, perfect people, perfect everything, of all the trees you can eat, but of one tree you shall not, you, you should not eat it, because in the day that you eat it, what happens? You die. You die. And she ate it, and what happened? She gave some to Adam. He had some. They ran around for a while. They're like, oh, we're naked. They hid. You know the story. They're, but they were alive. The day you eat it, you die. What died? The relationship in their soul and in their spirit that they had with God was severed in that day. Sin separates us from God. So we're physically alive. Everybody is. But there's something in the world today that people are dead inside. Have you ever heard that expression, dead inside? That's more real, biblically speaking, than you even know. But we still live our lives. There's still something about us that we live before Christ. We live for ourselves. We live for money, it said. We live for anger. We live our lives. And the Bible says when you become a Christian... This is what happens. It's not that you just add rules to your life you're living. This is what happens. The, de the, the physical life that you have that's dead inside, that you're living for yourself, now guess what? You die to yourself and you exchange your life internally with the life of God. That's alive. So that which had died in the beginning becomes alive when you put your faith in Christ and he comes and lives in your life. Are you guys tracking with me here? This is doctrinal. I know it's a little deep for the beach without a microphone, but that's what he's talking about here. That's what he starts off with here. You were raised with Christ. You, are, you have died, it says in verse 3. And, um, and in Romans, that's it, ver, uh, chapter 6, what shall we say then? <clears throat> say then? <laughs> uh, thank you. I really think this is important. If we don't even get to the other two things, we just need to get to this. Because this is where a lot of the misunderstanding comes within Christianity. People try their best to follow God, but they can't do it, and they give up. And they say something like, Christianity didn't work for me. No, what didn't work for you was a moralizing lifestyle, trying to follow the rules and going to church and doing all those things. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a transformation on the inside of your life, your mind, from death to life. That's what Christianity is. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean to be born again? That's what the guy asked him. You got to imagine if you never heard that word born again. And someone says, you have to be born again. You think, 
I was already born. Here I am. And the guy even got more graphic. I hate to go into detail, but he said, does he enter the mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus was like, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, physical. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You have to be born again in your spirit to be a Christian. You have to be transformed in who you are as your nature. Not your personality, but your nature of sin. It's like the old illustration of the pig. I heard pigs are actually smart, though. Is that true? You get a pig, you dress it up, you put a little bow tie on it. I even heard of a family, they put the pig at the dinner table to eat the dinner with them. Mommy, daddy, the little kids, pig. <laughs> but most of the time, and I heard you can train a pig, so I don't know if this last part is true, but it goes with our illustration. You dress the pig up, you perfume the pig, you wash the pig, you put the clothes on the pig. As soon as the door's open and the rain's going and there's mud outside, guess where the pig goes? Mud. Because pigs like mud. You haven't changed, just because you cleaned up the outside, you never changed the nature of the pig. Just because you moralize and say you're a Christian and go to church, if you've never been born again, you're not a Christian. You're just a Christ, uh, uh, a pagan in Christian clothing. <laughs> They're coming for us. Uh, I'll have another sip. A few more minutes. I want to just. I, would, I really want to hit this. Romans chapter six. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So Romans is about grace and you're saved by God's free gift. No works you can do to earn your salvation, etc., etc. So should we continue in sin? That was the other side I talked about. Certainly not. Why? Romans 6 verse 1. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. It continues on for far more verses. I won't read them. What is it saying? It's saying you can't continue to live the same way you lived if you've really become a Christian. Because a Christian has died to their old ways. Now they have a new life in Christ. You see the difference? And that new life in Christ is saying, I don't want to sin that way anymore. I don't want to be greedy anymore. I don't want to be a liar anymore. I don't want to be angry anymore. Now, let me ask you a question. Do we ever lie or get angry or sin after we've become a Christian? Yeah, the answer is yes. Even Paul the Apostle wrote a whole chapter, Romans 7, about his struggle. But the difference is this. Before, it was our nature to do those things. We could not... We were slaves to those things, lying or whatever your sin was. But now that we have a new nature, a new Holy Spirit living within us, now we are no longer slaves to those things. Even though we do sin sometimes, that is not the normal behavior for our lives. In other words, it's not what we want to do anymore. It's not like after we sin, we're like, yay, I sinned. Awesome. If you feel like that, 
If you're so excited about how you sinned last weekend, it may be because your nature hasn't changed. You don't have a heart to serve God. You need to be born again. The old man dying, the new one resurrected. That's why when we're baptized, I, I'm just bringing it up because of Romans 6. Baptism, you know what that represents? Death and resurrection. Death to myself, my old life, my old nature, and life in Christ. So that's a big dramatic difference from being a moral person who says they're a Christian and believes in God to a person whose complete nature has been transformed from the inside out. There's, that's a lot more. Back to Colossians, almost done. If anyone is in Christ, the Bible says, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. And back in Colossians 3, if you were raised with Christ, so what did I just say? Our old life has died, now we have the resurrection. Our life is connected to the life of Christ. It is no longer, the Bible says in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the things we do now that are good, that are moral, come from the new life of Christ within us and not our old self trying to pretend like we're good people. Therefore, set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's the last part I'm going to read, but I'm going to say this. How do I know? Or I should say it this way. What should be the greatest evidence that I am a Christian in my life? The answer is not because I go to church or because I say I believe or even if you do believe. By the way, the devil believes in Jesus Christ. He believes he died on the cross and rose from the dead. He believes he's coming back again. He believes whoever would put their faith in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Satan believes that. This may be new to you tonight, but Satan's not a Christian. <laughs> Just because you believe something, so what? It's not because you go to church. What's the biggest evidence? The biggest evidence is this, that your heart and your mind and your passions and your desire deep down, not the failings that you have from time to time, but deep down, your passion is, I want to be with God, I want to be with Christ, and I'm looking forward not to the things of this earth, but to the things of heaven. Your passion is God deep down. And we've all lied to ourselves because we've all said, oh yeah, I believe in God, my passion's God, my passion's Christ. But you look at your life, that's why he says, you know, here's all the things that should be examples of this. You look at your life and you realize, guess what? I'm really not committed to God. I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm not, I mean, I, I sinned today. I, I used rude, rude humor. <laughs> That's how they used to say it when they were, uh, when we were kids. The Bible says we all fail in many ways. 
all right? But even though if I can look at my life, it's getting better. But I can look at, I can, the Bible says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. What does that mean? It means when I'm all alone and you're just thinking to yourself and you don't have anybody to talk to or lie to or live for or pretend against, when you're just by yourself and deep down you know the number one thing in my life is Jesus Christ. There is nothing more important than God. And I may fail in that in my activities and actions, but my life has been changed. And because of that, I know that I'm going to continue to grow and change. And one day, when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will appear with Him in glory. That's the day. That's the day we need in our hearts. It's not next week when we have a fun thing we're doing or next month when this happens. Those are all fine and good. God gives blessings in life. But the blessing in life that we live for is the return of Jesus Christ to this earth in glory. And that's the day my life will be complete. Do you see it in my face? I'm not lying to you. The Bible says don't lie. <laughs> and so we struggle. We, we go through life. There's sin. There's things. There's the world, everything. We'll talk. They, it, the Bible's all full of that. But what is your passion deep down and what are you looking forward to? Deep and substantially in your heart and in your passions. When Christ, who is our life, appears. Everybody look up in the sky right now. This is the beauty of being outside. Look at the clouds. Look at those clouds over there. The Bible says every eye will behold him. The trumpet will sound. Will sound. <laughs> will it sound like that? <laughs> One more. Man, that was, I just had a little finish. bit more. You gotta finish. <laughs> the trump, because we all looked at the sky and everything. That wasn't even in my notes. Kind of sounded like a trumpet a little. The trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and together and remain will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord and so shall we be with the Lord forever. Amen. How long have you been alive? 43 for me. That's a lot shorter than forever. You getting this? Forever is a long time. And this life that we're living right now with all these struggles and situations and stuff, the glory... Uh, our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us at the coming of Christ Jesus. It says in the book of uh, Corinthians, second, I think. That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm happy people are going to church. I'm happy people are moral. Believe me. I'd much rather have a moral person than an immoral one. Sometimes. Although Jesus said... The tax collectors and prostitutes are closer to the kingdom than the moralists. Because they know they're bad. Someone who's moral is like, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. Someone who's a piece of trash, they think. They say, I'm not going to heaven. Guess what? Yes, you are. Jesus died for your sins. If you put your faith in him and give your life to him, he'll save you. He'll, you'll be born again. Your life, your passions will change. 
I guess I can just keep preaching and preaching, but I'm going to stop because I already closed the Bible. We did three verses. <laughs> We're good. We'll pick it up next week. <laughs> stand up and worship right here before the sun goes down. Let the spirit